millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Not only are we going to talk about just how to approach them, but we'll talk about like what's a good take. And then also a list of no-nos. Because, you know... This is episode 74 of the Alt Arts Academy podcast. How to get booked as a comedian with Dean Victor Barnado and Vice Queen Roxy Lim. This is the Arts Academy podcast put on by the New York Alt Arts Academy. I'm Dean Victor Barnado. This is Vice Queen <laughs> Roxy. Vice Queen Roxy. Uh, she's great. Take my word on it. Also... Uh, we have a very special guest today who is Rebecca Trent. Uh, she not only uh, is the uh, founder and one of the owners of The Creek in the Cave in Austin, uh, she also has run The Creek in the Cave in New York for many, many years. Also, uh, she is one of the founders and, and bookers for Skankfest. Is that correct? That's correct. Right? <laughs> and then also you scout for other festivals as well. Is that also correct? That's correct, but predominantly in an unofficial position well i mean as a club owner you're always scouting but then you're also like in you're also in contact with festivals too about comedians sometimes all right so that's so that's all great information what we're talking about today uh we're going to do two episodes the first episode what we're going to be talking about is how to uh get booked as a comedian we're going to talk about how to get booked at a venue and we're also going to talk about how to get booked on festivals not only we're going to talk about just how to approach them but we'll talk about like what's a good tape and then also a list of no-nos because you know people need to know those there are those no-nos people need to know those no-nos uh because uh when people do those no-nos you are immediately disqualified in a lot of people's heads uh for instance i was running an audition once it was an improv audition a man uh thought it would be hilarious to grab a woman's breast on stage and he was immediately disqualified uh because she didn't really want that to happen uh he she didn't know him so he he was a no-no all right anyway um He's lucky he didn't go to jail, <laughs> but he, he didn't. Uh, but uh, that's beside the point. The point is we're talking about how to get booked as a comedian. Let's first start talking with a couple of questions for Rebecca. Rebecca, thanks for coming. Uh, you're one of my best friends Absolutely. in the world, by the way. Um, also, you look like you're in a uh, you look like in a dark cave or something. It's well, I am in the cave. You are in the cave of the creek in the cave. Yeah, I'm at, at the front bar that's not open yet, and oh, okay. there's a there's a dark blue curtain behind me right now. Now, um, as the, I, I guess I, I like the other layout better, uh, Vice Queen. <laughs> as the, as the, uh, as a club owner, like you've had comedians uh, obviously approach you for stage time a lot. Sure. And so just. Very quickly, let's talk about like how how to best approach you for stage time. Like, if you're a club owner, like, what's the best way? I mean, and there's lots of different ways. So, why don't you just tell me like your favorite? My favorite is when a comic has seen has seen that I'm an audience and they've killed, and then they come up and ask me for stage time. That's oh, like favorite. when they oh, so like when they walk off stage and and it's hot, and then yeah. uh, and then that. But in that case, like it's like is you you do watch open stages, right? 
correct, correct, right. all the time. And a lot of a lot of owners don't though, but you are one of the owners that do. And then so if someone right. kills at an open stage, that's a way they can get to you. I'm I'm also speaking to from the point of view I think of comedians who just don't have connections and don't know anybody because you know that's where a lot of people start. And so if they if they were at the, at the creek in the cave that they were if they kicked ass at a open mic and then they walked off stage and they were like, Hey, uh, I was funny. Is there a way we can talk about stage time? That's, that's perfectly okay with you. Perfectly. Okay. With me. It's, uh, it's preferred. Um, if it's after I see them go up when folks mm-hmm. ask me for a spot before I've seen them go up, I typically ask, okay, well, who do you roll with? Like, who are your friends? Like, I like to get recommendations from like one or two comics that are more established that say, yeah, this uh-huh. is somebody that needs to be like pulled up, you know? Um, well, how do you feel about people approaching you and then saying things like, Hey, will you watch me? Like if they see you at an open stage and they're like, Hey, I'm about to go up into people and they ask you if you will watch them. Does that annoy you? You know, it's all about timing. It depends. Like right now I'm not in a position to drop everything because I am still very much like we're still very much in our infancy right now. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to literally build a club and build marketing for a club and uh organize like you know keep investors happy and like do all of those kinds of things at the same time so there are times when people will come up and ask me to see them and i literally just can't um uh-huh. and so it annoys me not so much for the request but for my lack of ability to do so you know um i also have been told by multiple people that it's not good for me to be in the audience during open mics so i um hide in places where i can hear it uh-huh. um and uh take notes and like figure out like who i thought was the best and i get people's names and stuff like that after the mic is over and i'll approach them but like for me uh it's really important particularly because i'm in a new community for me to see as many people as possible and right now we're getting we need a more robust open mic, right? We're doing mm-hmm. open mics at 6 p.m. Uh, six days a week. And I want to double that and start having late night mics as well so that we're constantly in a position where we can uh, evaluate where people are and what they're doing. Um, I've been very gently sort of going to comics and it's been received very well so far, but gently going to comics and going, hey, can I, can I talk to you about this joke? Can I talk to you about like what you're trying to do with this joke? you know, what your goal is, you know, once I feel like they're, um, at a, at a point where they can even take notes, but I feel like if I was starting off in comedy and I was just like, just trying to get out all the stuff that I thought was funny. And then I had somebody come up and go, you know what you should do? Like that would drive me nuts. Like there needs to be a creative <laughs> process that has to be kind of in a vacuum a little bit in the beginning, because that's when the artist is, is, uh, establishing their voice and figuring out, what kind of uh, comedy they're going to be doing. And like a lot of times, particularly with, with, with young folks, folks, and by young, I mean people who are just starting out. I don't mean age, um, but folks who are just starting out, um, you can already tell who their favorite comic is, right? I can hear, you know, there was, a, there was a time in New York where I think you and I used to stand in the back of the room, but there, there was somebody who would stand in the back of the room with me and would be like, oh, that's Hannibal's, Hannibal's, that's one of Hannibal's. Because if somebody like loves a certain comic, sometimes they kind of start to pick up the cadence and they start to emulate. And so there has to be at some point, usually around the five year mark, they start to break away from that, that I've noticed and start to really establish their own voice. And Mm -hmm. nobody wants to hear this, but the truth of the matter is, is that it takes about 10 years of doing it every day to get really good at it. 
And um, I think that from what I've seen, when folks start to hit that like six to eight year mark, they start to compare themselves to other people and start going like, well, how come they got it and I didn't get it? And how come this and how come that? And I mm -hmm. think the thing that's the most important to like drive home for newer comedians is that there is no finite amount of spots available. There is no finite amount of com comedians. It's not like, oh, we can only take 300 comedians a year or whatever. You know what I mean? It needs to be completely open. Um, and I think that comparing other people's gigs versus the gigs that you get are not, it's not healthy. And uh -huh. it can, it, it can kind of like, it can kind of turn it can turn comedy a little bit into like uh, have like bitter tones to it, and that can be kind of off putting. I kind of I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I I I agree with you as far as like how long it takes to really be like a solid comic. However, I do think that there's a faster track if you're a writer comic, like a writer primarily, because I feel like if you're just like a really good writer, like you can work. For I mean, it, it, it did happen to me where, like, when I started working, just because I was a good writer, I started getting opportunities for writing gigs, like, fairly quickly. Right. I mean, that's not, but that's not the end all of doing stand-up comedy, but I'm just saying, just, like, as far as, like, a career track, like, you can, you can be a solid writer and then just write. But, you, I mean, it's a lot of work as well. So. Well, it is. And I think a big part of the goal in comedy is not necessarily to just be a stagehound, Right. You right. have to also be a road dog. You also have to be able to. Um, you have to <laughs> be able to go stage into a road. Are they all animals? Stagehounds and road dogs. <laughs> ah, they can be. I'll, I'll come up with some more. <laughs> um, that's uh, awesome. I think that it's really important to to figure out what those tertiary revenue streams are inside of stand up comedy, which mm -hmm. obviously writing is a huge one, and right. it's one that actually can pay off in a way that's like way more um uh financially beneficial for uh, a comic um and you know i like to see people um ending up in writers rooms there there's a lot of comics that um i left in new york that i'm really hoping are going to advance into those into those into those writers rooms yeah in, in a matter of moments you know and, and the, as soon as seasons start picking up again i feel like i feel like there's a there's a lot of people that are ripe for the pick there are also I'm quite a few here that are really great writers that are um uh uh how do i say this if you have a really great writer and all they do is write inside of a coffee shop every day they end up just writing jokes about coffee shops you know what i mean so it's really important mm -hmm. as you're developing your writer's voice to be inside of different environments and have like other things to observe that are outside of your comfort zone that are not necessarily um, traditional because I think mm -hmm. that that makes a more robust writer in the long run. Okay. And that, that's all great. Although I do think we're getting a little bit off the subject for this particular episode, okay. I mean, but no, but this is all great stuff and should be its own episode, I think. But okay. So we're talking about, we're talking about getting booked and then, so uh, let's talk about the email booking wrap. So what, what about how do people approach you over email? What's acceptable for you? Um, I'm not a huge fan. Um, uh, I don't really like watching tapes and I know that that sounds crazy okay. because I am the person who's predominantly in charge of looking at the submissions for Skankfest, And I assure you, I watch each and every tape. Sometimes we get 700, sometimes we get a thousand. It can be kind of crazy. That's Todd Glass. Um, <laughs> Todd, hey, what's up, Todd Glass? <laughs> Creeping in the Victor. back. <laughs> Creeping in the background, yeah. Todd Glass. <laughs> so funny. 
Yeah, you're great, man. You're great on the show. You're great. Oh, sorry. You're great. Just tell him he was great. He says you're great over and over again. He really enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> the emails are a little bit trickier. Like I do watch all the tapes when I'm when I get submissions, and nine times out of ten, people will give me a tape, and the tapes are specific, right? For each festival, they'll tell you how long it needs to be, and they'll tell you like you know. Sometimes they'll even tell you what they're looking for. And mm-hmm. I, no lie, I've had people submit twenty minute tapes, and yep. it is not an automatic like. It's not an automatic dismissal. Like I watch all 20 minutes, but the problem is, is that if you give me a 20 minute tape, you're giving me 20 minutes of reasons to go, "Eh, I don't know. You know what I mean? I think that short suite is better, particularly the workload that many of these people who are dealing with um, submissions and stuff like that goes. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I've, I've booked people off of 20 minute tapes before, so it's not a hard and fast rule. And the truth is, Mm -hmm. is that there aren't any hard and fast rules. Yeah. Um, but when I get emails out of the blue from people, I typically am going to be like, I'm going to be more amenable if it's, first of all, another comic introing me to a comic, mm-hmm. um, a comic that I've worked with and that I respect introing me to a comic. That's, that right. is a, that is a better route to go than just a cold call or a cold mm-hmm. email. Um, and in a cold email, I feel like it's important to kind of like put out what you've done so that you aren't getting automatically dismissed. Um, I try not to do that. Um, but I will also say that I have an email, uh, I, I have an email address that probably has about a hundred unanswered emails from people requesting since we opened on April 1st. And it's mm-hmm. not that I don't want to get back to them. It's just that I have to build this thing first. And then once I have a house for them to live in, then I can invite them to move in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get, I get that analogy as well. Um, one question I do, ha- I have is, I mean, uh, this is you, this is the way you like it, but then, of course, it's different from club to club and person to person, obviously. So mm-hmm. I'm going to throw in for everybody out there watching, one of the best things to do is just ask around about how each uh, booker likes to be approached. That's uh, right. Because it's, it's probably known to people that they know. And so, and, and I know it's hard, especially if you're like a comedian and you're like, I got into this because I'm antisocial. I don't want to talk to anybody. I get it. But still ask someone, even if you ask that other person over email, that way you won't have to speak to them face to face and you can be safe inside your cocoon. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. and, and also it's really important to say that like, you have to get out of that cocoon. Like networking is a big part of what we do. And a lot of very talented, amazing comedians um, can sometimes fall short in their careers because they aren't really good at going to parties or doing it. I asked Colin Quinn back when I worked with him um, years ago on Unconstitutional, I asked him like, what's your, what's your best piece of advice to give to anybody? And he said, um, tape every set that you do and listen to it. And say yes to every party and function that you're invited to and go. Um, because mm. networking is a really big part of it. And comics love helping other comics. And if comics don't know you, they're not going to help you. And it's not because they don't like you. It's just you've got you've to be personable on stage and off stage in order for this to sort of click together and, like, create an elevation for yourself, you know? This is actually really interesting because... What you just described absolutely terrifies me personally. I know. <laughs> I do not like going to functions and parties. I hate them. I like I like hanging with people I know, and that's it. 
I mean, to be honest. So, but there's usually so, some surly person in the back of the room who feels the exact same way as you, and then you end up bonding with them. I mean, I remember being in the back of the room with Matt Bearden at, uh, at a comedy club years ago, and we became fast friends because we were just analyzing sets and talking about everything. He was like, I'm just so glad I have someone to talk to. And I was like, Jesus, me too. Because I didn't know anybody there, and he didn't know anybody there. And it was just like, it, it creates like um, a... Uh, like we're leaning forward in the foxhole together. You know, there's a camaraderie there. Right. And then I also think, though, though I, I do agree with him that it, that, that is a way to, uh, that is a way and that's in a smart way to get ahead in comedy and to like hone your sets and to grow your, grow your, I guess, circle uh, as a comedian. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that is also, you know, I, <coughs> No offense to Colin Quinn, but it's also antiquated because, like, we live in an era right now where, like, things totally change because of technology. And there's, like, a lot of different ways to, like, get your foot in the door. Yeah. And there's also a lot of different kinds of functions now. I mean, you can't oh, yeah. meet somebody in a Zoom room. You know what I mean? You can't, like, mm-hmm. there's the, 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 the truth of the matter is, is the tapestry of comedy, just like the tapestry of every industry, has completely changed in the last year. And everybody's oh, yeah. playing catch up, everybody's trying to figure out how to fix. And that's another thing about COVID. That's one of the things that kind of like blew my mind, particularly in New York, but um, it's happening here too, is that new comics show up and they're like, oh, I'm brand new to comedy. And it's like, uh, we're on lockdown. Like, what, what are you, <laughs> we, we have a year of catching up with people that we haven't booked for a year. And then, you know what I mean? So <laughs> they're it, like... the waiting time is a little longer right now than it, than it normally would be, you know? I've been doing sold out Zoom shows. You don't understand. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know why he's touching his watch in that uh, act. I, I don't All know right. either, but okay. So definitely, like, ask around. All right. So now let's talk mm-hmm. about let's talk about those um, when people do submit with a tape. What makes a good tape? And then we did say following the instructions usually helps. Being sure. funny also helps. I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of people are really worried about sound, like the quality of the tape, and. Mm-hmm. Um, in order, I mean, comedy, it's stand-up comedy. Like, it doesn't matter so much what you look like. It doesn't matter so much. If it looks like it was filmed in the 70s, it doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. What does matter is that I can hear you over the audience. If the audience is louder than you are, then even if the audience is responding in a great way, I still can't have an opinion about the joke because I can't hear it. Um, a lot of folks will give me um, tapes that are from banger festivals and they like go out and they kill for eight minutes and then i i'll discover later it's like okay yeah that was a really great tape that they sent in but that's their only eight minutes and it works in, in a thousand uh you know a group of like a thousand rowdy people who've watched like 15 minutes of like amazing comedians they like they can get their amazing tape out of that one event but that's not necessarily indicative of their level of performance most times you know what i mean and I think that it's important to get a tape that's really indicative of what you do, what I do. You know what I mean? Um, um, speaking from a comics point of view, uh, no, I'm not going to send you an indicative tape if I got a great tape. No way. <laughs> <laughs> what are you kidding? <laughs> that's not happening. I get, it, like, I get it. Oh, let's but, send this and, tape. And this mediocre other, tape of me. But the other side of it, too, is that folks will be like, oh, I would send you a tape, but I don't really have a good tape. And I've been trying to, it's like, just send me the last tape or the last set you did. It doesn't matter. I just need to hear your material. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I'm not judging somebody based on what their audience reaction is. In fact, I, perf- like, I ignore it. You know, 
I, I need to form my own opinion about what they're doing. And it doesn't have to necessarily make me laugh, but it has to put me inside of the space where I can go, oh, I see how this is funny. I see that I see that people would enjoy this. Because I don't necessarily, I don't only book people that I think are funny. I book people that the world thinks is funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's I mean, my job as a booker is to take the ego out of it, right? Yeah, I understand that. But, I mean, for me, I would, I, I guess... I guess that sometimes if the world and I don't agree, I'm just like, screw the world. But that's just, <laughs> that's how, but I'm not, a, you know, I'm not booking for the world. I'm just doing my projects. And so that's different. Right. Where I can just be a snoot, big snooty patootie, which is <laughs> what I call myself sometimes. Um, all right. So that's great information. I also tell uh, comics all the time to make sure about sound. And even, uh, we've, we even talked on one episode about just like specifically how technically to record your sound in a simple way so that your voice is always clear and separate from mm-hmm. the audience, uh, which anybody can do, uh, by the way. Just a very quick <clears throat> overview of everybody. Uh, you can get a, um, a personal record. You can get a personal recorder or you can or you can uh, use. Here's the easiest thing. Use your headphones on your phone and put them in your phone and record your audio of your performance with your headphones with your headphones up near your uh, right uh, yeah. voice, like a almost like a lapel mic, and then that you record that, and also record the audience from somewhere else, and mix those together, and then that'll make your audio amazing. So just right. get a, get something and, to put on yourself, or record from the uh, from the venue. If the venue has a recording, and you can mix that with your phone recording, that's good too. And then I would also say, like, if you are going to just put your camera in the audience and record it that way, that's totally permissible, but don't put it right next to your best friends, your girlfriend, your boyfriends, because they're <laughs> going to laugh the hardest and they're going to drown out every punchline because they've already heard it. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like that's the, that's one of the bigger challenges with me. It's like, Oh, he has a girl next to the camera and now I can't hear any of the work he's doing, you know? That is actually great advice. I didn't that I didn't even think of, but that does matter. Like if you put if you put uh, your camera next to a too friendly audience, it just seems wrong and fake. Um, but great. Now let's talk about the third thing that I wanted to talk about about comics getting booked. What are the biggest uh, no nos that people have done that have like that have like sealed their deal, like sealed their fate well, as in never <laughs> getting booked? I mean. I can tell you one of mine that I did with a uh, casting director once where mm-hmm. um, I was in for casting. For some reason, I didn't want to be there. I don't know why. I had a big attitude. But the casting director said to me, hey, you know what? You should bring your headshot and resume to every audition, she said to me. Oh, I know, because I had to come off of a vacation thing to do this audition. So I was mad. And then oh. and then I, I, I uh, had a very smart remark for her. <laughs> which she didn't like and that was the end of it uh so that was one of my no-nos being a smart ass when you you shouldn't take it personal when you're auditioning for things yeah 100 percent, i agree with that um i personally don't like it when comedians come out on stage and immediately tell the audience that they know what they're thinking right it, uh, it's a level of presumption that really bugs me. And it comes in the form of, I know what you think I look like. And then it's always like, I look like this rapist and also his victim. Or I look like, I look like, you know, uh, this famous person and also this other famous person. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, I get it. But that format is just, it's been done to death. <laughs> and it, um, it, it kind of immediately makes my eyes glaze over. 
specifically for um, when you're when you're auditioning for uh, festivals. If you're a New York comic or an LA comic, oftentimes those festivals aren't in New York or LA. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that a lot of comics have like, oh, five minutes, like a nice tight five on what it's like to ride the subway in New York. And it's like, okay, like we get it, but it's a location specific joke that people in the audience that take the seven train are going to have a bigger reaction to. So you're almost shooting yourself in the foot if you are trying to do that same material or submitting a tape to a festival in Denver, like High Plains, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, um, I, I really caution people against those sort of location heavy jokes that require somebody to be in New York or be in California or be anywhere. You know, it needs to be more, is the word ubiquitous, more evergreen? Like everybody needs to be able to access these jokes, right? Um, and I know that um, particularly when you're dealing with international festivals, folks that are already trying to figure out how to listen to you and maybe not their first language, which they can do very well and still have really good timed reactions, they're going to depart from you a little bit if you make it too specific to a place they've never been. Mm-hmm. That's 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 actually interesting to think about. I mean, I on purpose tried not to do things where people have to have a specific reference to understand a bit. Or mm-hmm. if, if it is a specific reference, I explain it in the setup in a funny mm-hmm. way so that they get the information so that everyone can enjoy it. You know, I'm not a big uh, referential joke person anyway, but um, I also, I also get that you don't like that. Uh, that like, you yeah. know, I know what you're thinking sort of thing. There's, there's tons of jokes, which yeah. I hate in particular. That may not be, <laughs> that might not even be like uh, advice for every comedian, but that's definitely like when they're pitching to you, that's advice <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a, I mean, I agree. I would, I would uh, yawn like, if, at that joke too. If your entire, if your entire set is about you complaining about your beard, I'm just sitting there going, why don't you just shave your beard then? Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. It's like everybody loves Raymond. Why didn't she just move her house? Why is she living next door to her in-laws? It makes no sense to me. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's like one of those things where if you have the ability to change the situation, but you're just talking about the situation, it seems kind of, I don't know, like ham fisted, I think is the right word. You didn't see the uh, Raymond episode about the volatility volatility of the real estate market where she couldn't move because everything was locked down. No, I'm kidding. There was I guess one. I missed that one. <laughs> Everybody loves Raymond. Um, so I actually only have one more question for Rebecca on this subject. So if you guys have questions out there and you're watching, put them in the comments now and we'll throw them up on screen and we'll, uh, we'll get those questions answered. But my last uh, question about getting booked for you, uh, Rebecca, is this what are what are outside ways of getting booked i mean the one outside way of getting booked is you're super funny everybody talks about you so then eventually people come looking for you but are there other ways that you think that people get booked that are kind of like outside um favors uh to comics um like if a comedian that i work with and respect says look you're not gonna get a chance to see him i just need you to book him just do me a solid i Mm -hmm. generally say yes um I would say uh, most recently, and this is something that we've sort of all been dealing with in the booking world for the last like maybe four years, maybe longer, um, is uh, these uh, celebrities who have decided now they want to be stand comics, you know, um, mm-hmm. or, or uh, YouTube stars who, or, or like personalities is what I would say, who have decided that they want to go into comedy. Um, mm-hmm. And I get requests from 
agents and managers who will ask me if I if I'd be willing to put them up on stage and see them. And um, I mean, that is an outside way, but it's a way that many of us sort of aren't super thrilled about and we'll do it. But it's a little bit grudging. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, um, I, I guess I guess then the the note for comics is like if you come in that way, be nice, be funny, yeah, <laughs> just be 100%. a solid person. Yeah. And I don't really care how many Instagram followers you have or if you TikTok recently or whatever. You know, that stuff doesn't really like it doesn't really it doesn't really do it for me anyway. Like I'm uh, I'm really a live theater person. That's my background. I like watching shows, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if I am seeing a tape, sometimes people will, like submit a tape and it'll just be a video of them doing something on YouTube that's not even stand up comedy. And that's always sort of baffled me. Like, I don't understand why people would think that that translates. It's almost disrespectful to the art form to me. I, I I will ask one question though, and this is this is I know I promised you no gotcha questions, but uh, this is kind of one. So you say like you don't care about the Instagram and TikTok stuff, but but obviously it's part of the comedy career path now. Like that's part of it. So yeah, grudgingly it's grudging, but yeah, it's part of it, and it's something that I have to take into consideration, particularly now because it the the um while the philosophy and the mission statement and what the Creek is about has not changed, the structure that we have here is different. We are also a headliner club now. So I have to pay attention to that because I have to make investors happy and I have to make sure that I'm uh, making enough money for everybody to uh, want me to keep doing it basically, you know, it's the arts Academy podcast. Uh, you can find us at artsacademypodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 